Good morning. I'd like to welcome each of you here. So honored to have you with us. And um, for you dads and grandpas out there, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And uh, I'm always, always honored to be able to be here in this capacity and share God's Word with you. Uh, we're spending the summer <clears throat> taking an in-depth look at Psalm 23. And my hope is that each of us will have Psalm 23 memorized by the, each of the, by the end of this summer. Um, and that's not so that you can check a box or just do what the pastors wanted you to do, but I want you to actually be with God. Spend time with God even as you spend time in Psalm 23 and let Psalm 23 be a tool for um, a way that you can spend time with God. I hope that by the end of this summer, we'll be able to speak Psalm 23, to pray it together, to sing it together, and actually mean the words that we're saying, not just like we're regurgitating something that we memorized. Um, we have hanging prints. I wish I'd brought one up here because they're really cool looking, but you can see one on the screen there. Hanging prints for sale in the lobby. They're 10 bucks, you can pay for them through the Church Center app. If you're not sure how to do that, just go to the table. There'll be somebody there to help you figure that out. But when you go out, it's gonna be against the right wall. Um, and we also have free postcards. Uh, so these are, they're beautiful, but they're also supposed to be tools to help you in memorizing and keeping Psalm 23 in front of your eyes. Um, you can also go to orangewood.org slash Psalm 23, or you can go through the homepage of the um, Church Center app and you'll find a video where I explain why we chose Psalm 23 to camp out in all summer. And there are other helps, there's some resources, there's uh, lock screen images and things like that. But what we're doing this summer is we're basically taking one line from the 23rd Psalm each week. And if you memorize each one of these as we go along, just memorizing one line is not that hard, but the idea is hopefully by the end of the summer, you'll have the whole thing memorized. So um, don't cheat and look at the screen right now. I'm gonna, thank you, thank you, Vicki. Uh, so here's the line. It's just one short line that we're memorizing today. It's the second half of Psalm 23, 2. He leads me beside still waters. Can you say that with me? He leads me beside still waters. One more time. He leads me beside still waters. See, we, we've only done this three times and you've already got the third one, so that's good. So now what I'm gonna ask you to do if you're able is stand and, and we're gonna look at Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2, which is what we've learned up to this point. And rather than you just listening to me read, I would ask you to read along with me. And if you're working on memorizing this, maybe even see if you can do it from memory with me. I'll do the same thing, and it'll look really bad if I mess it up. Okay, so here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So last week, Pastor Tyler talked about what it was like for a shepherd to find green pastures for sheep in Israel. And um, 
Do we have the image that Tyler gave us last week? So it's not rolling hills of alfalfa like we might picture when you think about sheep and green pastures. Uh, Israel was barren desert land. And so what you actually have are little tufts of grass and shrubs here and there. And even those aren't everywhere. So the shepherd has to find these pastures for his sheep and lead them. Um, and only after the sheep are well fed are they going to be calm enough that they're actually going to lie down. So in addition to finding these green pastures, like pretty much every other living thing, sheep need water to live. And this, of course, is more complicated in the desert for anyone finding water, and it requires a lot more work on the part of the shepherd. So this morning, uh, what we're going to look at are four ways that shepherds provide sheep with water that they need when they're in the desert. Sheep can actually go quite a long time without physically drinking water, but it doesn't mean they're not getting water. One of the primary ways that sheep get water is actually from eating. So when they're in these green pastures, and again, keep, keep this image this image, I see it right there. You see it behind me. Keep that image in your head. That's the green pastures. When they're in those, the sheep will eat very early in the morning before the sun rises because that's when dew is on the grass. That's how the sheep get the majority of their water from dew. Um, and dew, I would say, is something that we don't talk about very much. Um, if it does come up in conversation, it's usually like, ah, oh, man, there was dew in the yard and my shoes are wet. It's almost like an annoyance for us, right? But if you look the word dew up in the Bible, it shows up a lot. It's considered a sign of blessing, and it's even described as coming from heaven. If you think about the great prophet Elijah, when he was prophesying that there was going to be a great drought, he didn't just say there won't be rain. He said there wouldn't be dew. Because in a land where it didn't rain that much, they were utterly dependent on the dew of the morning. So for a sheep, getting that life-giving dew early in the morning is literally the difference between life and death. If they get that, they can go for up to a month without actually drinking. But without that, they're not going to last long. So. If the Lord is our shepherd, that makes us sheep. And it's a metaphor, but I don't think I'm pushing the metaphor too far if I ask this question. If the sheep need the dew of the morning to get life-giving waters, what does that mean for us as the Lord's sheep? For centuries, godly men and women have gotten up before the sun, before their kids, before the emails start coming, to spend time with God, to, to have that dew from heaven early in the morning. In fact, in scripture we see that's what David did. That's even what Jesus did. And so I think there's something to this and I want you to consider it. And I realize like when you talk about this, um, it, it might just be like, oh, brother, he's talking about quiet time here. And some people call it quiet time. Some people resist calling it that because it sounds cheesy and dated. Um, and I realize some of you may have kind of a knee-jerk reaction to this idea because it sounds like legalism. 
or maybe something that you were forced to do when you were younger. Uh, or maybe it's something that just kind of brings shame up in you because it's something that you realize you're not doing and it's like, well, no, I should be doing that, but I'm not really. So I want to commend this to you, this spending time with God in the morning, but I, I want to be careful about how I talk about it because I don't want to give you a checklist. Um, so this is how I would encourage you to think about it. Don't check a box. Don't do this um, as something that's motivated by shame, but spend time with God because your soul is thirsty and only your shepherd can give you the water that you long for. It technically, obviously, doesn't have to be early in the morning, but I find, um, you know, when I was young and single, there were a lot of, you know, little pockets of time during the day that I could have done it, but now um, it becomes more difficult to be still and present with God as the day wears on, especially if my kids are banging on the door or my phone's blowing up or I'm stressed about what I just finished or the meeting I've got coming up next. There's something about being still in the morning. And I'm not prescribing waking up at 4 a.m. and spending two hours, but I'm asking you to consider where the shepherd may be leading you tomorrow morning. Just ask, Lord, where might I find dew in the morning? And maybe you just set your alarm five minutes earlier. Maybe you just spend a few minutes reading Psalm 23, trying to pray through it before you pick up your phone and check your email and check the news and your stocks and social media and all the things that actually make our souls more thirsty. The important thing is not what you do, the important thing is being with God. That's what I want to commend to you, is being in the presence of God. The dew in the morning is a gift from heaven. And dew is the first way that sheep got their water in the desert. When the dew is not sufficient, sheep are not able to find their own water, so the shepherd has to find it for them. Uh, and finding the water, water in the desert, of course, is hard. But for sheep, it's even harder because sheep are afraid of moving water, like rivers or even just streams. There's two reasons for this. You might remember um, I told you sheep have a keen sense of hearing and they scare easily. So the sound basically freaks them out. They're scared to drink it. But there's a second more logical reason that they're afraid of moving water. Um, what are sheep covered in? <coughs> wool, right? So if they were to fall in water, that wool is going to get heavy fast. And if there's a moving current, it's going to take them under and wash them away. So I would say it's not just that sheep are sheepish, but uh, that wasn't even my notes. That was just a free zinger right there. Uh, but, but it's not even... Uh, just that they're afraid. I, I would say it's a healthy fear of moving water. So the shepherd has to find still water for the sheep. And sheep will seek out still waters on their own. But often what the sheep will end up doing is drinking from a stagnant pool. I, I was reading, I've been reading a lot of, uh, about sheep and shepherds, and I was reading one shepherd talking about how his sheep would stop in these pools that were actually like downstream and it was just footprints from other sheep 
and they'd left what sheep leave in places, and they would drink from these pools, and they would get parasites and disease. Drinking from these stagnant pools can actually lead to death. So there's a big difference between still water and stagnant water. The sheep go for stagnant pools when they're impatient and they don't trust that their shepherd is actually leading them to clean, still water. Probably uh, 20 years ago, if not more, I heard this sermon and I can't even remember the name of the pastor, but I have never forgotten this sermon. It was a man who had been doing missions in a poor mountain region of South America. And he was in this village where people lived in these cardboard shanties and they didn't have running water or sanitation or anything like that. And he said there was basically this ditch that ran down the mountain through the village. And in this ditch, people would throw their trash, they would use the bathroom, but also rainwater would flow through this. So there was this shallow stream that consisted of rainwater and human waste. And he recalled seeing a little seven-year-old girl walk up to this stream and stoop down and cup her hands and draw water and drink that contaminated water. And this man was crying as he told this story because he said he would have given anything to stop this little girl. In his hand, he had a bottle of fresh, clean water. And in fact, part of what his mission was is he brought fresh, clean water to this village. But he saw a seven-year-old little girl drink human waste. And he realized in that moment, even if I could have stopped her today, she probably does this every day because that's normal for her. That's all that she knows. The good shepherd leads us to still waters, to living water, but daily we walk past him and we go our own way and choose to drink from the streams of human waste. And as I say this, um, I don't want you to think so much about a seven-year-old little girl. I want you to be curious about your own heart and really think about this. What is the stagnant pool that you find yourself stooping to to try to quench your thirst, thinking it's gonna give you life? When you always regret it, when you find it actually just leaves you more thirsty it leaves your soul more sick. What is that stagnant pool for you? Sheep are able to wander off and find their own stagnant pools because the shepherd does not drive them using fear. He leads us. The shepherds in Israel aren't like shepherds here. They don't go behind the sheep, driving them, scaring them with dogs. They lead them. They go in front. They say, follow me. The same way Jesus, the good shepherd, calls to his disciples, follow me. When Jesus called his first disciples, the first thing that it said he wanted them to do is follow me so that you can be with me. So a shepherd leads his sheep to still waters, but we still have to follow where he leads to get there. 
So let's talk about some of the still waters the shepherd provides. Southern Israel lies in an arid desert region called the Negev, and that's a Hebrew word, the Negev. And in the winter, um, the northern and western parts of the Negev actually get heavy rains, but it's, it's desert and it's mountainous, and the desert mountains can't soak up all the water. So what ends up happening is water washes off of the mountains and the current carves out canyons in the desert. And these canyons that it carves out are called wadis. Um, I've got a picture of a, of a wadi there. So that's what it looks like when it's dry. And most of the time it is dry, but you can tell sometimes there's water in it because there's green stuff in it. Um, so after, um, after water comes through, it leaves pools. And this can be good, living, clean, still water for the sheep. But uh, if there's a flash flood and a rush of water comes through the wadi, it will take down anything in its path. And I haven't been there myself. I'm sure Pastor Pete could tell us about wadis and the Negev. But what I read about it is uh, flash floods can come up with no warning because it could be a bright, sunny day um, where you are, but to the north or the west, it might be heavy rainfall. And, and it turns out in the Negev, the two biggest killers are dehydration for lack of water and flash floods. So you're either longing for water or you're being swept away by water. But if there's a flash flood and a rush of water comes, it's going to take the sheep out. So these floodwaters in the wadi were obviously not the still waters that the shepherd leads his sheep to, but like I said, after they come, they leave pools, and the shepherd will lead his sheep to those pools. A good shepherd knows which pools are clean and which ones are stagnant, and he also knows when it's safe to lead the sheep down into the wadi. But a sheep may just see a nice still pool in the wadi and head for it, not knowing that floodwaters are only minutes away from rains far to the north. So have you ever pursued something uh, that seemed harmless or even good, but you just didn't have peace about it? I have probably two like core stories that I could tell you about times that on paper everything seemed good, what people were telling me seemed good, I saw other people doing this thing and it seemed good, but something about it just didn't sit right. I, I just didn't feel right about it. And if you have one of these stories, maybe you listen to that still small voice and even though it seemed like it wasn't common sense, you, you listen to the voice that says, don't trust this, just walk away, get out of here. And you realized you dodged a bullet. Or maybe like me, your story ends with, I wish I'd paid attention to that. Um, but it makes it very difficult to pay attention to the warning. It makes it very difficult not to drink from that pool in the wadi if you see other sheep doing that. If all the sheep around you are doing something, even if the sheep's not leading you that way, you think, what's the harm in this? It seems good. It's also 
uh, difficult to pay attention to the warning if you're routinely tuning out the shepherd's voice. If you continually wander so far from the shepherd that you're not even within earshot of the shepherd's voice. All still water is not safe water, but the good shepherd knows how to discern. Maybe even this morning, you're faced with a decision. And you could look around, you could use your common sense, you could weigh pros and cons, you could see what the other sheep are doing, but I encourage you, ask the shepherd to lead you. Because he won't drive you with fear. He will gently lead you and you'll know it's him leading you, not because the clouds are gonna part and you'll hear a voice from heaven, but you'll have peace. Go where the peace is. If you're not sure what to do, ask the good shepherd. The prayers that I find myself praying are, God, I don't know what to do. Sometimes it's just like, I don't, I have five things to do in front of me. I don't even know which one to start with, but you know, God, can you show me? The way may not look as fruitful, but trust the good shepherd. When uh, Abraham and Lot were traveling together, their herds grew so large that it was causing conflict between their herdsmen. You might remember this story. So they decided to separate. And in Genesis 13, I want you to, to listen to this story. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So he looked and it's like, man, this looks like the garden of the Lord. But then there's that foreboding sentence. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. How did moving to Sodom work out for Lot? We may see what appears to be good water, but if our shepherd's not leading us there, it's best to just keep on walking. So in more settled parts of Israel or parts where lots of shepherds uh, tended to congregate, there were wells for sheep. And some of them from biblical times still exist. Uh, wells were really important, as you can imagine, in Israel. Uh, they were a life source for the people, but they also tended to be a meeting place because everybody sooner or later would have to go get water. But they were also a symbol of status and wealth because if you owned a well and the land around it, it meant your people and your flocks were gonna survive. And invading enemies, they would go for people's wells. They would destroy them or they would fill them in because they were so vital. And there are many famous meetings at wells in the Bible. That's where Moses met his wife. That's where Jacob met his wife. That's where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. The well was one of the few acceptable places for men and women to mingle. So it was kind of like the Israeli water cooler. Um, but there are two basic kinds of wells used in biblical times. One kind of well is close to what you probably picture when you think of a well. And uh, we read about this when Jacob meets his future wife, Rachel, in Genesis 29. And this is what it says. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, which means they must have been calm and satisfied. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. 
The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So they had to cover the mouth of these wells to keep them from getting contaminated so that you know things wouldn't get in there. But they were so heavy, some of them took more than one person to move. So simply opening the well was hard work. And shepherds watered their flock from wells at about noon. If you think about it, the sheep are hopefully getting some dew early in the morning before the sun rises. So noon is the logical time, but it also means they're in the desert, the sun's directly overhead. It's hot work. And once the heavy stone was removed, the shepherds still had the hard work of extracting the water with a rope or with some sort of vessel. Um, Many of these ancient wells, this is something I've learned that I didn't know about, were kind of dug in an incline with steps leading down to an underground chamber. So they would uncover it and then they would have to actually walk down in it. The water was at the bottom, the shepherd would dip it out one jar at a time, balance it on his head and walk up the steps. If it was a really nice well, it would be wide enough that he could lead his sheep down, but the sheep are still afraid of the standing water, so they've still got to get it out into a trough or something like that. So there, uh, the late Philip Keller wrote a very helpful and well-known book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Dolly Smith turned me onto this book last year, and it's been really helpful for me. Um, in it, Philip Keller talks about being a shepherd in Africa where the climate and terrain were very similar to what they are in Israel. And I want you to listen to what he says about um, some shepherds in Africa watering their sheep. He says, I recall so clearly standing under the blazing equatorial sun of Africa and watching the native herds being led to their owner's water wells. Some of these were enormous hand-hewn caverns cut from the sandstone formation along the sandy rivers. They were like great rooms chiseled out of the rocks with ramps running down to the water trough at the bottom. The herds and flocks were led down into these deep cisterns where cool, clear, clean water awaited them. But down in the well, stripped naked, was the owner bailing water to satisfy the flock. It was hard, heavy, hot work. Perspiration poured off the body of the baler, whose skin glistened under the strain and heat of his labor. As I stood there watching the animals quench their thirst at the still waters, I was again immensely impressed by the fact that everything hinged and depended upon the diligence of the owner, the shepherd. Only through his energy, his efforts, his sweat, his strength, could the sheep be satisfied. There is a well of living water for you, but you can't get the water on your own strength. It's impossible, but the good thing is you don't have to. It's through the strength of Jesus, your good shepherd, that you can be satisfied. The same way he washed the disciples' feet, Jesus moves toward you, calling you to himself, longing to serve you longing to quench your thirst and to wash your wounds. And I'm not talking about an afterlife, I'm talking about something that is available to each and every one of us right here, right now, even in the midst of the desert. He's always with you and he's always enough to satisfy your thirst. 
So we've talked about so far three different ways that sheep are able to drink from still waters in the desert region. But there's a fourth. First three are dew, uh, the wadis, and the wells. The fourth is when there isn't a well or clean still pool for the sheep, a shepherd will have to work to make a stream or a river still himself. And we've talked about how sheep are afraid of moving water. So sometimes a good shepherd will have to still the water himself by putting rocks and sod in the water to make a dam. And this creates a quiet pool along the edge of the stream. So I don't want you to miss the significance here. The shepherd stills the water for the sheep. Remember, David wrote this psalm and he wrote it from the promised land. And for 40 years, God's people wandered in the wilderness, which is the desert. And who provided for them when they were in the wilderness? God did. He provided manna. And it says, appeared in the grass like dew from heaven. He provided water from a rock. And then when he led them to the promised land, they were coming from the west, which meant they had to cross the Jordan River. And do you remember what happened? God pushed back the waters of the river. He stilled the rushing waters so that his people could cross on dry land. And you probably remember the famous story from Mark 4 when Jesus was asleep in a boat with his disciples. The wind was raging and the waves were breaking into the boat to the point that when the disciples came to wake Jesus up, what they said is, we are perishing. But verse 39 says, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. And then what did he say? Be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The good shepherd is able to still the water for his sheep. The way that we've structured these sermons, we kind of broke verse two into two chunks. Last week, Pastor Tyler preached on, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Today we're looking at, he leads me beside still waters, but the two are really connected. Sheep won't lie down unless they're calm. They won't lie down unless they're free from danger. They have to be fed and they can't be thirsty. But finding water is the most important factor for surviving in the desert. So a large amount of the shepherd's time is spent finding water. And frequently the nearest water is hours away. And it may not be the same place as the green pastures. So the sheep get thirsty. And when they get thirsty, they can get restless and wander off. And we're all thirsty. We are all thirsty. We thirst for what will actually quench us. One of my favorite Psalms is another Psalm of David, Psalm 63. And the first verse says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, your heart was created by God and it was created for relationship with God. Our hunger to be with God is insatiable and yet we're powerless to actually give our souls what 
they long for. The most horrible thing that happened in Genesis 3 when sin entered into our story is not just that we experience pain and heartache and death. It's that the perfect communion with God that Adam and Eve knew is gone. We long for God's glory, but we settle for chasing after our own. We long for God's love and approval, but we waste our time trying to get it from other people. We long for intimacy with God, but we settle for real and imagined encounters with other people. In John 4, Jesus encountered a woman at a well, a woman who had tried to find what she was thirsty for in men. She had been married five times, but it hadn't worked out. And in fact, she was living with a man currently, and she was hoping that it would work out. She was hoping that she would get what her soul thirsted for. As Jesus and this woman talked about water in the well, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Friends, Jesus offers this water to you and to me daily, now. And the reality is many of us in this room have this water and we still choose to go to stagnant pools. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this radical idea that the good shepherd became a sheep so that we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The water that he offers cost us nothing, but it comes at a high price. Because in the same way that the good shepherd became a sheep for us, the good shepherd took our thirst upon himself. In John 19, as Jesus hung on the cross, it says, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. He took on our thirst so that we will never have to thirst again. And I don't think I could ever overemphasize the fact that because of Jesus, the greatest gift that each of us has is the presence of God always. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. He leads you beside still waters. Will you follow? Will you just be curious and even ask him this morning, where would you have me go? As I close, I want to close with some of the very last words in scripture. This comes from Revelation 22, 17. The spirit, that is the spirit of God, and the bride, that is you, the church. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's pray.
Lord, you are our shepherd. And even in the midst of the desert, when there's confusion, when there's loss, when there's heartache, when there's suffering, when we can't even see clean, cool water to drink, by faith may we say, I shall not want. We believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. Thank you for Jesus who took our thirst upon himself that we may never thirst again. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.